We've been on a journey. We've been trying to lace it up for this year. And we've been talking about our race, our individual race that God has marked out for us. And the truth is, we need food for our race. We need nutrition for our race. The only way we can run this race in the way God has designed for us to run, if we feed ourselves. If you were training for a race, a 5K, a 10K, whatever, a marathon, you would practice running and you would practice eating. You would have proper nutrition because if you don't have proper nutrition in this journey of life that God has marked out for us, at some point you'll get sick or you could potentially die if you don't feed yourself properly. When someone is getting off track, being tempted to walk away, or feels like giving up or needs guidance, they need a guidebook. They need a handbook, which is the Bible. And the Bible itself is our reference point. It's, it's our sustenance. It's, it's what we need to daily go to to feed ourselves so that we have energy and nutrition for this race that we're in. We often use this phrase when we talk about the Bible. We say this, I have a Bible passage for you. Or even say, hey, I got a passage for you. And we use that terminology in the Christian world when we want to help someone to give them something that would encourage their hearts. And they say, here, read this passage. Have you ever stopped and paused and think about how often we use that word and what that word really means? What is a passage? A passage is a corridor or a place that we have to go through to get to another room. It's a place in this journey that you're running, that maybe you're running off track, maybe you're down, maybe you need an attaboy, maybe you need help, maybe you need nutrition, and you say, I got the passage for you. Here it is. And so we read it, and it takes us from where we are to where we need to be. It takes us through a place to get us to where we need to be. And so we constantly use the terminology passage. We have become so accustomed to our language, even in using terminology like that, and so accustomed to our Bibles that many of us don't even read the Word of God. And the truth is, if we're not being fed with the the bread of life, then how in the world can we ever sustain ourselves in this race that we're in? And statistics show that. There are Bibles everywhere. Nine out of ten households in our world have a Bible. The average household in our world has three Bibles. If you were to go and count the number of Bibles in your house, you would soon find that they are everywhere. They're in your toolboxes, they're in your garages, they're in your trucks, they're in your cars, they're on your nightstands, they're in your kitchens, they're in the front rooms, and we have Bibles everywhere. However, only 53% of people in this world read the Bible. 47% of people Don't have a practice of reading the Bible. In Christians alone, the percentage is 31% of women choose to read the Bible or choose not to read the Bible. So 39% of men choose not to read the Bible that are called Christians. And here are the reasons that Barna said why we don't read what we would say is the living word that rightly divides the truth for us that goes to the bone and marrow of our life, that is the bread of life. Here are the reasons that a recent survey said why we choose not to read the Bible. 27% of people said they don't prioritize it. 15% of people say the reason I don't read the Bible is I don't have time to read the Bible. It's like saying I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to feed myself daily. 13% 
say that they, that they don't read it enough. Another 9% say they don't read books at all, so they don't read the Bible. Another 9% say it doesn't relate to them. It's an old ancient book, and it means nothing to me, so I don't read it. 6% say they don't have a copy. Imagine, imagine watching an NFL football game. The players are going into the huddle. The quarterback is there. He's ready to call the play, and the players are looking at him for the play that's supposed to be called. And he is there and he says, I'm not sure what play I should call. Imagine running a game, an operating game as the quarterback, not getting a signal, whether it's from your coach or even if you're calling the plays, not using a handbook to run the play. The truth is, many of us operate that way daily. We run this race, we don't go to the handbook, we don't go to the word of life, we don't feed ourselves, and yet we wake up every day and say, hey, let's run. If we're not feeding ourselves the word of God, then how do we know where to go? The Bible says that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's God's eternal word. It is the bread of life. It's living and active. It teaches, it instructs, it convicts, it affirms, and it encourages us. People gave their lives and were burned at the stake so that you and I could have the word of God. Well, my first trip into China delivering Bibles, smuggling them in from Hong Kong with a team from Grace here about 12 years ago, I'll never forget, I mentioned this, but this week was a reminder of the first time seeing people who had never had a, a Bible in their hand. Many just had a page of the Bible. And in China, during that time, if you had a Bible in your hand and you were caught with it, it was a capital offense. You could be put away in prison forever, yet they longed to have the Word of God so much. We walked into a room with a bunch of Bibles, and they were hungry to give it, and we gave them the Bibles, and I'll never forget, there was a hush in the room, and you could hear weeping in the room when the Word of God was read. They realized how valuable and how precious the Word of God was. Have you ever seen people for the first time, get the word of God. There's a video that's been floating around for years where a Bible was taken by missionaries to a group of Chinese believers who had never owned a Bible. It's a very grainy video, but it sets more to stage of what it was like. Take a look at these Chinese Christians getting a copy of God's word for the first time. Take a look at this. <laughs> When I see that, I wonder, where has our hunger gone? We crave food, don't we? We have some of the most favorite food and We'll drive 50 miles to go to our favorite restaurant to get food because we love the taste of it. And it's good to our palate. 
will spend hundreds of dollars to get the best food because it brings nutrition for our health. But where has our hunger gone for the word of God that feeds us, instructs us, convicts us? Is our nutrition. When is the last time you said, I'll run a hundred miles so that I could get a copy of God's word and read it? And scripture is loaded with passages to get us from here to here. Yet we're so distracted with so many other things that leave us empty. And at some point in this race, we'll fall miserably and we'll get out of our lane because we haven't spent time in the guidebook. My hope today is this and this week has been, oh God, give us a hunger for your word again. Give us a fresh awakening in our hearts that we would drive 50 miles to read a page. Let us hide your word in our hearts so that we will never sin against you. I watch a Chinese believer and, and your bulletin is one copy of the page of the word of God. I watched a Chinese believer walk into a room that I was preaching in with one page of God's word. And it was worn out from them just reading it because they knew, like, if I read this, it's living, it's active, it nourishes my heart. They saw it as food, precious food. It just wasn't words that were on a page, but it was precious nutrition. In the Old Testament, there's this account King Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And by the time he got 20-some years old, he, he, he made a decision that he would take the temple and restore it or remodel it. So he gave instruction to the workers. He said, I want you to go, and after 300 years of the temple being in place, it needs remodeled. So he sent out his workers, and one of the workers went out, a high priest, and he was in a closet or in a room, and he found this word of God, the Bible, probably the Pentateuch, maybe even just a book, either the first five books of the Bible, and he found a word of God that was hidden that the previous kings had just said, no, that it's not worthwhile, and just literally just tossed it away, filled with dust, and he brought it out, and he said, we need to take this to the king. And it says in this passage that he takes the word of God to the king, who's Josiah. And it says he begins to read the word of God. And Josiah, up to that time, had never heard the word of God read. Never had heard it. And he hears the word of God. And the text says in 2 Kings that he strips himself, he tears his robe, and he weeps before the people. Because for the first time he realized these words are different than other words. These words are God's word. And he was cut to the heart. And he made a decision after that. He realized that if that word of God had that impact on him, then he needed to read it to them. So you know what he did? He asked that the word of God would come, and he asked that it would be read to his people. And for the first time in years, the word of God was read in a public way. I'm going to ask you to do something today. 
to go with me, I humbly ask you, turn off your phones. Just turn off your phones. Just go ahead. We can make it through a passage of, of Scripture without your phone. Just please turn it off. And I want you to open up your Bibles, a hard copy. And if you don't have a hard copy, I want you to hold your hand up. Ushers have them ready to put one in your hand. Or I want you to grab your bulletin. And we have a copy of the text today, 2 Kings chapter 23, and pull out this insert. So either hard copy on your own, pull out this insert, and I want you to just look with me in 2 Kings chapter 23, what happened when God's word was read in a public way to the people of Israel. Look what happens in 2 Kings 23. I've highlighted these passages, and I just wanted you to look at what happens. Look at verse 2. Look what's highlighted in yellow. It says, He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming, confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Now watch what happens. After they read God's word, just look at the yellow. It says that they went to remove the doorkeepers. And it says he burned them outside. And it says in verse 5, he did away with idolatrous priests. Look at verse 6. He took the Asher pole from the temple of the Lord. He says he burned it there. Look at the yellow. He ground it to powder. Verse 7. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes. Look in verse 8. It says he broke down the gateway, the entrance of the gate of Joshua. Verse 10. He desecrated Tophet. Look at verse 11. He removed from the entrance of the temple of the Lord the horses. And then it says Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. Verse 12. He pulled down the altars of the king of Judah. Look at the next yellow. He removed them from there. He smashed them to pieces. He desecrated the high places. Verse 14. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Why? Because for the first time, they heard the word of God spoken. And they were deeply convicted. So today, it'll be different. We're going to ask God, as the early epistles were written, they would often have someone just stand up and read God's word. There won't be any commentary. It'll just be the living, active Word of God spoken to us, fresh off the pages of the Word. Stay 
of God's peace I'm finding myself in the midst of you beyond the music Pastor Jeremy played, we're just going to ask you to speak to us as we read your word. No additions, no commentary, the inerrant, infallible, powerful, life-changing word of God, the bread of life. It's a lamp and a light to our lives to our race and God I ask that the Holy Spirit that lives in us that you would speak to us as we hear your word and I pray that it would convict and affirm and challenge and teach and instruct and may we be fed today in a powerful way by the living word of God. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful that you left us this food that sits around on our tables and sometimes dust comes in and sometimes we try to run this race without eating. I pray, God, that you restore and renew a hunger for the living word of God. Please, God, do what only you can do. Give us an appetite for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Just quietly turn to 1 Timothy 
If you have a hard copy, just keep your phones off and I'm going to read God's Word to you and let the Spirit of God feed you today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels and the ungodly and sinful, the, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saving that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a saving knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety and adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for a woman who professed to worship God. 
A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, seer, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which godliness springs, it's great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving, by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's to be, it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and on the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saving that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. 
And do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedications to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give their enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should show them 
should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind and who have been robbed of the truth who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything. And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their faith in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who is richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Second Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace with God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me with suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus through the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and teacher, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know who I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anasiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And in the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may too obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamagenes and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. 
Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to his will. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes, and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Also learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, and what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy, You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God... We receive your word. Holy Spirit, help us to learn from the living word of God. And help us to put into practice what we've heard. Thank you, God, for preserving the text. Kings and people tried to destroy it. 
tried to obliterate it from planet earth. But God, we have in our hands today the living, active word of God. Help us, God. Give us a hunger. God, renew our passion for the nutrition that we need from your word. And may our first default, God, be to you and to your word. God, may there never go a day where we don't feed ourselves the bread of life so that we can run this race of life that you have marked out for us in a way that pleases you and not man. God, I pray for unusual favor and blessing upon each person that is willing to go on this journey of daily digging into God's Word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate the text to us so that we can live it out. Lord, we have nothing to add. This is the Word of God. And we commit this time of worship to you and we respond from the Word in worship, recognizing you as the God, the only God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We love you Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.